Please let me pray. Jesus, you yourself said that the flesh avails nothing. It is only through the Spirit that we may have life. And Lord, I thank you for the life of this church. I thank you for the life that you have been faithful to give it throughout generations. And the life that you continue to imbue to it today. And for as long as you have it testifying to your gospel we pray that that would be until you return. Thank you for this morning. I pray that you would open up your word, that you would speak to us as we just sang. Oh, Lord, we do depend upon you. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in 1 John 5 this morning, verses 13 through 21. We are finishing our series on 1 John this morning. And I'd invite you to come back next Sunday and for the Sundays of Advent as we'll be preaching through the book of Ruth from the Old Testament. You might wonder about what this chair is here. This chair was one of the original platform chairs from Edgewater's early days 113 years ago. Okay, So I just want you to know this. If Jesus doesn't come back first, this chair is going to be here even beyond my time here. <laughs> it's been here before my time, and it will continue to be here, not as a, some sort of like thing that we acknowledge and bow down to or anything, but just as a representation that God is faithful through, through the generations. He is so faithful, so, so faithful. Um, so imagine all of the other pastors, deacons, people that have sat in that chair throughout these many years of Edgewater's history. Um, I'm thankful for that history. I am deeply honored and graciously privileged to have been affirmed and now installed as your senior pastor. FYI, I'm not going to call myself that very often. Um, I'll probably, actually, when I do refer to myself in some way it'll probably be lead pastor but i am very privileged and honored to be affirmed and installed by you my spiritual family our father has been so good to us over 113 years now and we are now the latest generations to be part of this local family of god that has been called by his name has been saved by the gospel of his son and sealed with his spirit those of you who have been here over the last few months know how Jesus the Good Shepherd has so graciously guided us ever since that meeting in, in June. Um, I'm hoping we'll be able to hear from Bill at the end of the service. Um, I'm, I'm so thankful that my brother uh, would think to send that. Just recently I've gotten into a book by Samuel Rutherford. He's an, he's an English Puritan from the, from the 1600s. And lo and behold, I got into it. The very first quote, I wrote a little note to it saying, November 20th, 2022, yes, EBC installation. This is what Rutherford wrote, and I would concur for my own, my own life. The great master gardener, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in a wonderful providence, 
with his own hand, planted me here. Planted me here. Where by his grace, in this part of his vineyard, I grow. And here I will abide till the great master of the vineyard thinks fit to transplant me. I don't know why I'm still here. Other than his, other than his providence. Um, God is just good. He's seen fit to have me here for near the fullness of my 46 years of life. If you don't know, my dad was pastor here for almost 20 years. Um, and I never thought that I would have his job. <laughs> I wasn't aiming for it, definitely, but God is gracious. I've been here for the last 14 as a pastor, 12 of which were with Bill. And I will continue to simply pastor here for however, however many remaining years he allows until he thinks fit to transplant me, which I don't intend to do, <laughs> till he returns, which I pray for daily, or he calls me home. Maybe I'll just die in the pulpit sometime. <laughs> Nevertheless, here in the love of Christ, church, we will continue to stand. We will continue to stand. Please forgive me if I use my Kleenex a little bit this morning. Hopefully you've found your way to 1 John chapter 5 now. It is close to the end of the Bible. Just a few books or letters to the left of Revelation. This is a letter written by the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John. And he wrote it to some churches. We don't know which churches, but we know these churches were struggling a little bit. These churches had basically known Christ through the witness of John, most likely. John was their spiritual father, but they were going through some tough times, particularly because people were leaving the church. And they weren't worried about that because that was meaning there would be a decreased budget. They weren't worrying about it because programs wouldn't continue to happen. They were worried about it simply because of this. These people were friends and family, and they were walking away from Jesus Christ. And they were subtly, vocally, in the community, and probably in these relationships, calling these believers in the church to join them in their new understanding of who Jesus was. The question I have for you this morning is are you living? All of us are alive in here right now. We woke up this morning. Our, our breath was coming out of our lungs. We were inhaling, exhaling. We were having our hearts beat. We are alive. My question is, are you living? Are you living? There's a difference. In 1 John, where we're at, the, at this morning, John tells his readers what he has written to them, that you who believe in the name of son, the Son of God may know that you have eternal life. This is a letter of assurance. To say you can be sure whether or not you are living. Living. 
But just before we get started with verse 13 of chapter 5, what I preached through last week, look at the verses just before. Verses 10 through 12 of chapter 5. Whoever believes in the Son has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, that being God. Because he, this person, has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Eternal life is not waiting for everyone beyond the grave. But John also wants them to know this, is that those who have eternal life are also not waiting for death to begin experiencing eternal life. Eternal life begins when they are born of God. So this morning as I ask you that one question, and you might, you might forget everything else that I say this morning. Maybe in some respects I want you to. Because I want you to see Jesus this morning. Not me. I want you to hear from him, not from me. If I can in some way be a vessel for you to hear from him, may it be so. But we need life. We need to know that we are living. May you know that today. You may say, well, Andy, how, how would you say, like, what, what would you say it means to be living? I would say from this specific part of 1 John, I would say this. To be living is to be a confident kid. It's to be a confident kid. Let's read the passage here, starting in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know that him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. When I say live as a confident kid, I don't mean a cocky kid. We probably all know some cocky kids. Maybe you were a cocky kid. There were probably some times in my life, especially in certain venues, 
perhaps sporting venues, where I fancied myself as a cocky, self-assured kid. That's not what John is saying, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying here, a confident kid, confident kid, because this confident kid knows he or she is definitely loved. You may have seen around our neighborhood um, gangs of preschool kids. If you've seen those gangs of preschool kids, they're always holding on to a rope together. All right? They've usually got a leader up in front and a leader in back. Sometimes it seems like they're 12 or 14 kids all holding on to this rope. Those kids have a certain degree of confidence and assurance. They're following their leader and they're sticking together. Well, this morning as we talk about kids, I want those kids, us, whoever is born of God, to know that there is an assurance of eternal life. This is what John says in verse 13. I write these things for this purpose, that anyone, all you who do believe in the name of the Son of God, may know that you have eternal life. For these people, they have the testimony of the Holy Spirit inside of them. I just read that to you. The testimony of the Holy Spirit inside of them, that Jesus is the Son of God. Last week as I preached on this reality that we need to be born of God and that God the Father has given this greater testimony assuring, assuring that those who are born of God can know that Jesus really is the Son of God and that there is life in His name. As I preached about that, I talked about how J.I. Packer talks about the summary of the Gospel being adoption by propitiation. We all know what adoption is when somebody who's not in a family is brought into a family. Well, Packer is saying this, propitiation is Jesus at the cross bleeding out for those who are not at that point his kids, not at that point his brothers, in fact. But propitiation is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that takes the guilt and the wrath that we deserve and turns the Father's view of us towards favor because we've now been adopted into a new family. That's why John talks about the family throughout 1 John, constantly using terms like brothers, sisters, young men, older men, little children, because he is confident that when someone has graciously been reborn into the family of God through the blood of Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit, given new life, they're truly in the family. They're not just hanging out for Thanksgiving around a common table wondering, wow, it would be nice to have a family like this. No. Through the blood of Jesus, by the work of the Holy Spirit, and the adoption of the Father, the Christian is in the family. We have been cleansed from sin by the blood of Jesus, the Son of God. And now we love the Father and love others, other kids, other brothers and sisters who are also loved by God. Again, I would say, are you living? Is this ringing true to your life? Because this is spiritual life, real living.
Well, let me get into three ways that these kids here in the text live confidently. First of all, we look at verses 14 and 15. These kids confidently pray. They confidently pray because they know that they have a true and greater father who hears them. Verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, this being God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Did you hear those promises? If we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know we have the requests of his will. Do you have any parents in the house that don't always listen to their kids? Maybe you're on your phone too much, parents. Or maybe you're just like, they never stop talking. <laughs> That's not the way the Father looks at us. He loves to hear us speak. He loves to hear us pray. He loves to be able to say, I have made them my kids. I love to hear from them. See, prayer is not ultimately about getting stuff, getting the things that we're asking for. Prayer is about spending time communing with our Father. Being conformed to His will. So when it says here, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Brothers and sisters, when we come to the Father... It's not to give us our laundry laundry list of things. It's to be able to say, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven. I submit my will to yours. That's the kind of confidence, the kind of love, the kind of belonging that the child of God has with the eternal, almighty omniscient, omnipotent, holy, holy, holy father of the universe. Is that we can come and say, my hands are open. I just submit myself to you, Father. You have loved me. And you know what I need. And so I, I don't hesitate to ask, but I pray, Lord, that you would form my will to be more and more your will. To which you might say, but I don't know when it's my will and when it's his. Well, a couple of things. The word is what shapes our wills. You coming here this morning and hearing the word, in a sense you are saying, Father, submit my will to yours. I need to hear your truth and be refined, be made more and more like your son, Christ. But can I also just say this, actually coming to pray and maybe even saying, I don't exactly know what to pray. I don't exactly even know if this is your will, Father. That's an act of submission as well. To be able to say, I don't know if this is what I should be praying for. But I know a Father who knows 
And I have the Spirit who groans on my behalf when I don't know what to pray. And I have the Son who is constantly sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me. So I can come with a humble confidence as his kid, saying, there's nothing off the table in terms of what my life looks like that I shouldn't, that I can't ask the Father about. A loving Father doesn't mock his children's requests. Instead, he responds in love and in their best interests. So we continue to trust that we get his best as we ask. We have the request that we've asked of him because he forms our requests into his best will for his kids. So those who have been born of God are are kids who confidently pray. They're also kids who are a confident church. They're a confident church because our true family truly loves one another. If you've been here during this series, you've heard over and over and over again that the love of the body for one another is proof positive that people are actually Christians. Which is contrary to what the secessionists, the people that have been leaving these churches, have been doing. They've been putting the churches in their rear view, saying we've got a new Christ, so we've got a new kind of community. And John over and over and over again has been saying, those who hate the church hate me. Those who hate you, if you do not have love in your heart for brothers and sisters, that you don't have love in your heart for God. So here as we talk about kids who are confident church because this true family truly loves each other, let's look at verses 16 through 19. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. I'm just going to stop there for right now, because that's kind of quizzical, isn't it? He actually says it three times. Sin not leading to death in verse 16. End of verse 16, commit sins that do not lead to death. And then again in verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. As Christians... If there's anything we've heard, it's that sin leads to death. What is John saying here? Well, let me try to frame it in these three, in this, in this way. But we're going to scoop in the next two verses. So I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you the three, the three points here for framing this, even though we haven't read 18 and 19 yet. Um, as we've gone through 1 John, again, sorry for the little review, but we've been talking about the way that as Christians... We battle the flesh, who we are, that sin still resides inside of us. We also are enemies with the evil one, Satan. And there's also the world that we live in, these, this evil trinity of pressures upon our souls. And what John is doing here is he's actually addressing those three as he concludes the letter. With this first one, he's talking about our flesh, so let's think about it this way. 
sin done by individuals, but that is within the family. Sin within the family. If anyone sees his, who? Brother committing a sin not leading to death. How does that person respond? He shall ask, oh, maybe some more clarification on what we should ask for from verses 14 and 15. Our prayer lives should be full of asking for the sake of one another. He shall ask and God will give him life. What an answer to prayer. What does this mean? Well, this sin does not lead to death because when someone is adopted into the family of God, they are saved and secure. Their place in the family is not based on their righteousness. It's not based on their record. It's not based on their ability to kind of keep it all together. It's based on the grace of God expressed through faith in Christ. So when he says there's a sin not leading to death, he's exactly right. Because the brother has been born of God. He can no longer die because of his sin, because Jesus already died for his sin. It is not a sin that will lead to death for the Christian. What about God will give him life? Again, what a marvelous answer to prayer. A spiritual sibling praying to the father saying, I've seen my brother or sister in sin. God, I, I, I implore, I ask on their behalf that you would give them life. And the promise is he gives them life. Because again, that brother or that sister is in the family now. All the father wants to do is continue to make them more and more like Jesus, to continue to revive their hearts. So brothers and sisters, when you see someone else in sin, pray that they might have more life. Pray that God would revive them, knowing in confidence that when we ask a request like that, God hears and God answers that request because he's already given them life and will give them even more. There is, though, sin that leads to death. There is sin that leads to death. Second half of verse 16. I do not say that one should pray for this. What is John saying here? This sin that leads to death is a deliberate rejection of belief in Jesus as the Son of God and as the sacrifice for sin. As we, I mentioned a few sermons ago, John, throughout his theology and his gospel and his books, his letters, talks about this reality that it's not actually the individual sins that we need to be the most concerned about. We should. All sin is wrongdoing. However, what are people judged for? They're ultimately judged on that day by Jesus himself, who says, listen, 
I came and I died. That you wouldn't have to stay in your sin. I came to rescue you out of the darkness into light. I came to pull you out of the grave and give you eternal life. And you gave me the hand? This is the sin that leads to death. It's what the secessionists have been doing in these churches. Say, nah, the blood of Jesus, we don't actually need that because we don't consider ourselves sinners. So they are deliberately disobeying the unburdensome commands of God, as John writes in 5.3. That earlier in the book he had said, this command is simply this. Believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ, the, the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and love one another. That's the fullness of the law of Christ wrapped up in a simple package for people to believe. So why does he say, I do not, I do not say that one should pray for that? He's not necessarily outlawing praying for people who are in that condition. What he's saying is this. Be aware. In your prayers for those who are not brothers and sisters, pray for repentance. They don't have life for me to give them more life, says the Father. Pray for repentance. They need to turn from their sin before they can see the light of life in Christ. So that's sin within the family. We have life, but we do sin. So pray for one another, brothers and sisters, that we would have more life. That's about the flesh. How about the evil one? Verse 17 again, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that, lead, that does not lead to death. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. All wrongdoing is sin. This is not an allowance for sin, but a statement of reality for the Son of God. Back in, or for the sons of God, for the kids of God. Back in chapter 1, it talked about the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. He's not saying don't walk around like you're not a sinner. But he says walk around in the blood of Christ confident that the, the shed blood of Jesus Christ can actually make a sinner clean. You don't have to scrub yourself to then come to church. You don't have to scrub yourself even to come to Christ. Christ just says, bring your mess and trust me with it. I already bled out so that you could be clean. Earlier in the letter, John says, don't play around with sin. In chapter 3, verses 4 through 9, it says, Jesus came to put to death the works of the devil. Sin is rebellion. So don't hear me this morning say, hey, let's just take a pass on sin, everybody. No. But what John is saying here is, see who you are in Christ, and sin will more and more lose its hold. Because he is the greater one. 
He is the greater testimony, the testimony that lives inside the child of God. He's a greater testimony than the condemnation that the evil one likes to bring when we fall into sin. And we have a protector. You see here how John says, everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God We've been using a lot of brother language when it comes to talking about Jesus. Right here. Those who have been born of God, read John 3 about being born again. You must be born again. John is saying, we have been born of God by the one who was born of God. Jesus Christ, the Holy One. And what does he do? He's like, you're not touching my family. These are my brothers and sisters, and I'm not ashamed to call them my brothers and sisters even when they sin, because guess what? They're not going to keep on sinning. There will be a day when they will see me face to face because I'm going to appear. And as they long for my appearing, they're going to become more and more and more pure because the Holy Spirit puts their eyes towards heaven and locks their gaze on me. Those born of God do not keep on sinning because the one who was born of God protects him. That's a confident brother or sister who steps on the block before the bully and says, you're not touching my brother or sister. That's Jesus. But it's also the church, the body of Christ. To be able to say, when I see my brother or sister in sin, I'm praying that they would have more life. In Christ, we also protect one another. Why must this protection happen? Because in John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief came only to steal and to kill and destroy. Do you think he's taking a break, not trying to do that to Christians anymore? Yet Jesus gave them this promise. I came that they may have life. I'm going to protect that life. And I'm going to give it to them abundantly. In John chapter 7, Jesus had also said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Knowing so many people were going to come today was humbling. And I I know I could feel the love. But I need you to ask yourself this question Are you living? Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so for a Sunday like today, even more than perhaps normal Sundays, there are likely people here who are hearing these words and maybe saying, yeah, I've come to church before. Maybe I prayed a prayer when I was five. Maybe back in Safe Place or Day Camp or Edge. See, I've been around here for a long time. And I've known some of you for a long time. Can I just say, don't punk yourself. Don't assume 
that you're somehow in Christ when there's no flowing of the rivers of living water out of your life. If there's no demonstration of the Holy Spirit, you may say, well, I don't speak in tongues. I don't either. That's not what I mean. What the Holy Spirit does in the child of God is gives that person more and more of a Christ-centered life where they say, the testimony to Jesus being the Son of God lives inside of me. He's my King. And the life continues to grow in them as the Spirit bubbles, as the Spirit flows. This person, because they love Jesus more and more, loves the church more and more. They love to be with the body. They love to have family gatherings to say, i got to get together with my brothers and my sisters. They are loved by God, been born of God as I am. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. This person continues to not be without sin, but to struggle with sin. To battle sin. To pray and have others pray for them in their sin. And this person has a growing discontent with the world and its ways. Because we are aliens. We're an alien family. Not meant ultimately to be here for much longer until our greater brother comes to take us home. So, if you don't know Christ this morning, let these words graciously, because some of you, I probably know you very well. Let these words come from the word. Don't punk yourself. Repent and believe on Christ. He is the eternal life. Do you believe this? Or will you continue to walk in the world? Verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is the context we live in as an alien family. Founded by the Father, saved by our brother, filled with his spirit. But we're able to be a confident church because we can say that within the family, our flesh doesn't disqualify us from the family. Our battles with the evil one? Ha! Jesus overcame the world, therefore we have overcome the evil one. Do you remember what he said, John said back in chapter 2? I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. To be in this family of the Father means that our flesh does not disqualify us, that the evil one will not ultimately have us and the world will not ultimately rule us. It's passing away. We stay. So are you living? Do you know this eternal life? Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. We're confident prayers. We're confident church. And we are 
Those two things can only be true because we are confident in Christ. He is the true God and he is eternal life. So that initial question I had, are you living? If you don't have Christ, you are not. You may be alive, but you are not living. All our confidence, all our confidence as a church, as individual brothers and sisters in the family of God, born of him by his grace, depends on who he is, not on who we are. It's in his kidship that we can call ourselves kids. We truly abide in him, and as it says here, we are in him who is true, and he truly abides in us. If you're not a Christian, I want you just to hear this. Sometimes when I walk my dog, I walk at night, okay? Because sometimes when you walk at night, especially in the big homes north and south of us, I live right next door in not such a big home. But in some of these big homes, when you walk around at night, lights are on, right? So you catch, wow, they have an incredible mural over their fireplace. Or you see like a family sitting down for dinner. You catch glimpses into the family life. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I hope you hear or catch, see some glimpses of the family life in Christ. It's a life of confidence in him, not in us. It's a life of loving one another imperfectly, but we still do love one another. It's a life of having the Son of God, the truth, abide in us and we in him. This is family life. This is the church life. Why does he finish by saying, little children, keep yourselves from idols? Because he's finishing it with this last little exhortation to his kids saying this. Listen, as I've been telling you throughout this whole letter, as we've been preaching about through this whole sermon series, our hearts are weak and they waver. Our hearts look for living among the dead. We try to find real life in stuff or in people or in relationships or in jobs or in dreams or in goals or in the holidays. <laughs> All of these things we pour life into. And hear me. The word of God never says those things aren't part of life. But they are not life. We should be holding those things here as we look at the life behind. So we're seeing those things in light of the kingdom of God, in light of eternity, in light of the eternal life, Jesus Christ himself. So as you go into the holidays, are you asking God, would you show yourself to me and to my family more beautifully this season? Even as I buy presents, even as I do my Christmas list, help me to think about you. Help me to see all these things in light of your kingdom and in light of eternal life. But our hearts waver. They easily go towards idols. 
This is biblical realism right here. Even the father's kids run after expedient, dead things that are passing away. But Christ offers life. Why do we go anywhere else? Our hearts, they tempt us to find assurance, to find confidence, to find life, to define living in false, dead things. The Barbie dream house isn't ultimately going to give you life. We chuckle, but how many Barbie dream houses do we pour our lives into? Why do you look for the living among the dead, Jesus asks. Idols are dead, but I am the eternal one. I am the living one. I died to rescue you from spiritual death that we might live together for eternity. Are you living? If you think this morning, no, I'm not. Then would you trust him this morning? Would you just pray before God to say, I have been trying to run my own family for so long, build my own kingdom for so long. I need a new father. I need a greater family that does not disavow my earthly family, but I need my earthly family to be part of the father's family. I need to be adopted. Brother says, come on. I did everything that's necessary. You don't have to clean yourself up. Just trust me. Get on the rope and let's walk. Let's pray. Well, Father, we ask that through the work of your spirit that you would graciously give new life this morning. repentance and faith we pray for all of us those of us who are your kids already but we do sin i would ask on behalf of us all including myself that you would give us more life revive us oh god be glorified in your name jesus amen